You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello there and welcome to the show. Just before I bring you this episode recorded earlier this year at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival with dazzling American comedian Orlando Baxter, who I believe will be up at the Edinburgh Festival this year, so check him out there. Uh, just a little notice, though, if you are in London in the first week of August, if you have a shoot Edinburgh or are going there later, or if you're in Britain or anywhere in the world and can get to London in the first week of August, get yourself to the Soho Theatre and watch Luke Heggie. Uh, his show is called Rough Diamante, and he is... Uh, just such a phenomenal comedian I saw this show earlier this year in Melbourne uh, I've seen a couple of his shows in the past he was a very early guest on the podcast sometime in the in the double figures and uh, he is just one of my very favourite comedians he's like a merciless deadpan sniper and uh, he just takes no prisoners and it's beautifully written beautifully emotively performed I cannot recommend him, uh, recommend him enough go along and see that and if you did miss Peter and Bambi Heaven in The Magic Inside uh, they're reprising that show in London sometime in the next couple of months or so. Have a little check for that. That's Asha Trelevin, uh, formerly of this podcast, and uh, Gypsy Wood as well, doing an incredible uh, husband and wife, ludicrous, bad magic act type double act but uh, there are there are more than one of them around that's a, that's a, a genre of itself you know the kind of uh, bad magic but holy hell they do it so so well I genuinely I put this on, on the Facebook group earlier on I genuinely mean it I laughed myself hoarse I couldn't speak for a day and a half because I had shouted with laughter at this brilliant show that's Peter and Bambi Heaven so check that out on Facebook or the internet or wherever you find out your information now let's get stuck into this episode with Orlando Baxter <laughs> Orlando Baxter, you're in Melbourne. How are you enjoying Melbourne? I am loving Melbourne. First time here in Australia. Obviously, first time at this festival and uh, enjoying it immensely. It was your first Edinburgh as well, was it? It was, it was actually, it was my second Edinburgh, but it was my first time doing an hour there. The year before, um, I had, uh, I went and did like 10 days. I did a free show 
and I did like 30 minute spots just to see how it was. I did not know that. Was that the, that was the previous year? So that was 2015. Yes, that was 2015. That's actually where somebody seen me. Mick Perrin actually seen me there uh, during 2015, and that's how I ended up getting signed and brought back with him the next year. Okay, that's a pretty successful story of that taking was, a chance I on a festival. Yes, I could have left after like the sixth show. So, you know, I was like, all right, I met this dude. It's, he's going to bring me back next year. I'm done. But Great. I, I continue to do it. So what inspired you? As a com- where, do you where are you based in the U.S.? I'm based out of Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, what inspired me, uh, two things actually inspired me. Hannibal Burris, a uh, comic from the U.S., inspired me. I was opening for him in Connecticut back in, I want to say it was like 2013 or 2012. And we were having lunch, and um, he just was telling me about Edinburgh, and I... Uh, He's like, yeah, man, you should do it. You know, I've been doing it for like, I, at this point, yeah, maybe I've been doing it for like two years. He's like, yo, it's hard, but it's 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 good, man. It's a great way to just meet a bunch of other comics and, and kind of just get up, you know, a bunch of times for long sets. But he said it's really difficult. And, and that, that part of it intrigued me already. And then what happened was I did this festival, my first international festival in Switzerland, and I heard some other comics talk about it, and this was back in 2015. And then I, I was like, oh, yeah, I gotta, I gotta at least try. And then I realized how expensive it was. What did you interpret when Hannibal said it was difficult? What were your expectations of, like, what, what kind of difficulties was he? I think he was talking. Well, I was intrigued by the difficulty of the audience, just the idea that uh, culturally, it's a lot different than the states. And what, what would that, how would that impact the material that I had? So I was just interested to see how I would do there. Because to me, he's a phenomenal comic. And for him to tell me that it was difficult yeah, made me think, whoa, what is, what is this? It was just, you know, as I think sometimes as uh, Americans, uh, I'll just speak for myself, just as a comic, I just think that um, Americans in general, you just kind of think of in terms of America. And that's it. And I really didn't think of anything international at that point so Hannibal kind of brought that idea to mind like oh you can do comedy overseas and it's challenging I'm kind of funny I want to see if I can make them laugh over there so that was it and it was very difficult that 10 days I was it was very what was the room which room you playing I had uh, I was at the cabaret Voltaire oh I know it yeah yeah and it was very difficult because there was one room at the same time there was one guy playing a guitar sound bleed from the yeah, oh, yeah, it was, yeah, it, it, was it was like I had two guys playing guitars one was an electric guitar one was acoustic <laughs> on the other side and um, it was just tough and I didn't like the idea of barking like uh, handing out the flyers sure like I bought a bunch of shit and then uh, it's like you're already it's already difficult man like dealing with the jet lag because I got, I came I think midway through the festival so I oh, see so you arrived and it's already going off it, in every direction it, it, it was it was first of all it was just chaos seeing all of this it was like being at like I don't even know how to describe it but it was just like this beautiful thing but this scary thing at the same time because you're, you're people out there flying and then you're getting fucking rejected 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 and then I'm like fuck man and then you do the shows, and I didn't know there was a bucket. That was a new thing for me. I was like, what the fuck is this bucket for? And they was like, oh, you put money in it after. I was like, oh, I like this bucket. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good bucket. So, uh, no, so that was a good experience. And then, uh, like I said, um, 
I had um, Mick Perrin had came down and seen one of my shows. Uh, I had met him though, maybe uh, nine months before when I did uh, this uh, festival in Switzerland. And he said he was going to be there. And he said, let me know if I have a show. And I sent him out an email. But he didn't say he was going to come to the show. I just asked him for suggestions. And then he uh, surprised me. And he came to one of the shows. There was eight people in there. How did you... I mean, that's obviously one of the difficulties of working at the Edinburgh Festival. The insane amount of competition. I believe it's the biggest festival in the world. I think... I'm sure it's the biggest comedy festival in the world. That open access kind of nature to it. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. Uh, It was was tough, man. Because it was just like... When I did the show, it was kind of like I had to... I probably had did about four or five shows. And then he came to that like sixth or seventh show... And I was kind of sick, and I was—I I wasn't used to hanging out to five in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I was trying to interpret that. When he says kind of sick, do you mean like yeah. ill it was, because of festival flu, or do you mean you've been going hard till five? It was kind of—it was a combination of both. It was like, ugh. like when I like one of my buddies who was actually signed with Mick at the time said, "Hey, man, I think he might come down to one of your shows." So he kind of gave me a little heads up, but it was like an hour before the show, and I just—I didn't feel well, and I just was like, "Man, I just got to power through this." Because my expectation wasn't something was going to happen from it. But I just wanted him to see, you know, like, hey, see me do a longer set as opposed to the shorter set that you seen me at the previous festival. And um, I did the show. I did a little crowd work. It was it was so it was at one point during some crowd work. I wasn't trying to do crowd work, but I said something and then some old lady had yelled out. I forgot what the question was. I said the N word. And I said something like, oh, you know what that means? And this old lady, she had to be at least 75. She was like, nigga. And I was like, <laughs> and I said, God damn. I was like, what? It was, I, like, it was crazy. But then the response that I had was perfect for what I forgot what the response was. Yeah. I'm sorry. And uh, it just it just clicked. And then even though it was a small group, it went well. I thought it went OK. And then um, after the show, you know, I'm out there and I had the bucket. And, uh, you know, you know, it was, only, it was not a lot of people, but they put money in it. And then after he was like, hey, what are you doing after after this? I said, oh, nothing. And then he was like, hey, we want to take you out to eat. We want to talk to you about something. And great. A success story. And you get there and he's like, do you want to buy this car? <laughs> yeah, great. Oh, that's what we were talking about. Well, that's fantastic. So just paint a picture for us. How different? Obviously, it's a festival as opposed to a kind of a day-to-day gig. Yeah. But what does it look like? working in Boston are you, are you can you stay in Boston or are you traveling outside of Boston no Why? yeah I've I, never worked there I've got no idea what yeah yeah I definitely travel outside of Boston I open up for a couple of bigger some of the bigger national headliners I open up for a guy named Joe Coy and uh, uh Whitney Cummings which is another uh comic in the U.S. uh she wrote the show Two Broke Girls I'm not yeah I knew the name from somewhere okay got it but um I've been opening up for those two every now and then uh a couple of times a year, maybe about 10 to 12 times a year. But uh, aside from that, I do my own stuff. So there's a bunch of clubs in the States, obviously. So I, I'm mainly based in Boston, but I perform everywhere, all over New England, New York, uh, the West Coast, East Coast, everywhere. I do a lot of colleges and universities. 
as well. Okay, because that's something that's there's no real equivalent here. I mean, there is a college circuit, but it's small gigs, nothing like the same money, nothing like the same number of them. Yeah, that's something I, I always the metric I have for the college circuit in the US is mm-hmm. uh, I know Stephen Wright mm-hmm. recorded the album I Have a Pony and then toured colleges for 20 years doing that material. That's yeah. I mean, that's what I've heard at least. Yeah, that you can just the, the country is big enough and the work is sufficient enough that you can do that for the rest of your career if you want. Yeah, I mean, the money is uh, unbelievable. Um, I think it's... Uh, Just to clarify, unbelievably good. Unbelievably yeah, yeah, okay. good. Unbelievably good for somebody uh, that is not, obviously not Stephen Wright, but just for any comic that gets into uh, the university kind of like uh, college circuit, it's very difficult to kind of get into because you can't just get into it. You know what I mean? You can't like it's... They got like the system wrapped up. There's a thing called NACA, which is like National uh, Association for Campus Activities. And you kind of have to have an agent and the agent submits your performance to NACA and then, you know, they take 20% of whatever the hell you get. But if they select you and you get a bunch of colleges, it could be very lucrative for you. And how long have you been doing that? Uh, I've been doing those for about two or three years. And what are the, what are the kind of, what are the good things about working in that environment what are the what are the less good things uh the good thing for me uh is uh i was a high school teacher for a number of years uh 12 years and um so for me it's kind of like talking to my students like but obviously using profanity and other things and saying what i really want to say as opposed to holding back sure which has to from their point of view that's got to go down yeah really well because you're like a sort of a treacherous member of the Yes. The, the school governing body, you know, the teaching. You're on the other side of the fence and you need to tumble back up. Exactly. I'm, I'm kind of like giving it to them real and, and raw. But at the same time, it's difficult in, in the sense that um, I'm used to being in clubs. And a club is a, it's a different ball game. Like it's, you know, there's alcohol, there's... Oh, yeah, Heckler, of course. There's no, no yeah, alcohol? No alcohol. Because in the student gigs in the UK, there's a bar. There's a student union bar. That's the reason there's a gig on it, so they can get the students there to sell them beer. Yeah, because you got to think that in the States, you need to be 21 to drink, and kids graduate usually when they're 22. So a lot of times, the majority of kids are like 18, 19, 20. And I think another thing that's a little bit difficult uh, with the colleges is these students, a lot of times, never been to... College, uh, comedy shows like college campus shows so and they're kind of sensitive to certain material and uh, a lot of times you have difficulty in kind of figuring out you know what's too too much for them <laughs> it sounds like, <laughs> sounds like you're alluding to a specific event or event where you've gone too far yeah where you go to well you kind of know because sometimes they'll tell you hey you know know this or know that or you know, a lot of times they won't, and sometimes they won't say anything, but it's just, I think, the shock of stand-up. I think, I think what's helpful a little bit is, obviously, with YouTube, and they can kind of get a sense of comedy from what they see, like Kevin Hart, guys like that, that are kind of bigger on TV, but a lot of times they just, this is their first time in a situation for kids uh, on campus, I'm speaking specifically, where there's somebody on stage and they're not a professor or not a teacher. Yeah, right. So it's a little bit weird to have that, this other energy coming back at them. And sometimes they don't know how to deal. Did he just say, fuck me? You know what I mean? And they just kind of like, 
they don't know how to react to it, but it, it, it's cool. I like it. I enjoy it. And how are those how are those gigs regarded in? I mean, this is an insane question to make it to make a sweeping generalization. How are those college gigs regarded? Is that something like that is looked down upon by any section of the comedy population? Yeah, of course <laughs> it is. I, I think it is. Not not. It depends on how old you are. Like I think that uh, I think that in the in the um, when you've been doing it for a while, um, I think it becomes difficult in the sense that. Uh, you get older as a comic and the things that you probably want to talk about uh, are kind of outdated to like some of the younger guys, uh, the younger college campus crowds. So you kind of feel like, all right, I got to kind of keep up I'm with this. Pokemon Go jokes. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I don't want to do that shit. And, uh, and I think that that's, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's looked down upon, but I think that if you're, you won't see a lot of older individuals kind of doing that racket. I think my material, some of my material kind of plays towards that yeah. crowd in general, just because it's school related. But um, I mean, it's not my favorite. I don't I, I, I do it and I do enjoy doing it. But the one thing I will say, though, it is uh, it's it's the key for me, at least what I learned is you can't treat it like a, a, a comedy uh, club. You got to treat it like the college kids. So it can be a little bit more relaxed and you can kind of talk to them a little bit more as uh, like almost being like a funny big brother. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. And have a message or whatever with the show. Whereas with the college, like you can't do that at clubs. Yeah. I don't think they got, they're drunk. They're older. They don't got the fucking patience for that. Yeah, man. I was in LA last year and I went to the comedy store Mm -hmm. and yeah, obviously there are huge differences between, I mean, have you done, have you done clubs in the UK or have you just been? Yeah, no, I I think that's the first time I met you was a club in the UK. We did, I want to say it was top, it was either top secret or. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I I tell you what I have in mind as our first meeting was uh, of course set list. So we are set we list. are, we right. are bonded forever by having <laughs> done a set list together. Yes, that that was the first time I did it twice. That I've done set lists at Edinburgh. First time was obviously last year, and uh, amazing. Like, because I've never done anything like that before. Sure, set list for the listener is uh, you. It's a kind of a comedy format game experiment, sort of at night, where you are given on a screen behind you, so it's inescapable. You can't run away from it. What is your supposed set list? So they will put a deliberately difficult topic up there, and you have to look at it, and then the audience is in on it as well, and they know that you're now going to try and pretend you have immaculate material on this subject. How did you find that night? We, it was a tough night, right? That was a very difficult night. How did I find it? I I enjoy it. Because it's like, uh, first of all, I think I got a little advantage being not from there. Sure. You know what I mean? Oh, 100%. In the same way, I mean, I, I'm getting to experience that in a very uh, welcome way, being in Melbourne. Yes. Like being right, oh, he's an English guy. Yeah. Let's, let's give him fractionally more attention than we are. A little bit more, yeah, exactly. A little bit more attention. And I think it works with me as well because I'm, a, I'm very laid back my delivery so I have more time to think that's all I'm basically saying so because I'll drag out a word where I'm really just thinking or pause but the pause seems normal yeah okay that's really interesting to hear that because I often think that when I see slower paced acts I'm like you fuckers you're able to (laughs) you're buying yourself thinking time you're the first person I've had to admit that (laughs) yes I can admit it I can admit it so but I, I do enjoy it like I just 
it was something that I seen. I said, oh, I want to try it. I seen Trevor Noah do it the year before. And, yeah, uh, I, he was doing it the first time I did it a few years ago. It was Trevor Noah and Richard Herring. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I seen it and I was like, oh, this is, this is, I it's like the leveler. Backstage, you're bonded, right? Yes. It's like, oh my God, you've yes. got big famous acts there going. <sighs> yeah, you see him sweating. And, mm. and uh, I said, oh, I got to at least try it once. And I did it the first time and it went really well. The second time, I think it went well. It was tough, but it went, it went well. But uh, I just like it, like, because it's, you can't prepare for that. No matter what you do, you can't prepare. Maybe some guys are just naturally gifted. And I'm not one of those guys that it's weird. I just have to go with whatever's in my head at that time. I'm not a guy that knows everything going up or I'm drunk. So I can just kind of like, oh, let the alcohol fucking take <laughs> take control. Of me. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but it was good. How do you, how do you enjoy it? I enjoyed that one. I yeah. remember the first time I ever did it that I said, how long have I got? And they said, oh, as long as you want. And I looked at my, you know, it takes you right back to your first gig yes. because you just, the fear is back, the adrenaline's back. And I looked at my watch after I came off, I'd done 17 minutes, right? Because uh, <laughs> no one flashed me. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, I didn't get booked for a few years. I don't know if that had anything to do with it or maybe I just didn't approach them. I was ashamed. <laughs> so that one, when I saw you, I think that's only the second time I've done it. I really enjoyed that one because I felt like I had more of a handle on this is the thing yes. and I can jump out with no safety net and just try and come up with something. I, I did enjoy that one. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's, um, it's, it's interesting what you say there about like, I'm not that guy. Yeah. So, so what kind of guy are you within stand-up? What do you think? I've, I've seen, I saw you working in headliners last night, which I yeah. really enjoyed. I've seen your Conan set with some of the same material delivered yeah. in a smarter jacket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was my agent's fault. Yeah, no, it's great. Good move, I think. It's a good marketing <laughs> move. So this is Orlando. Thank you so much to him for coming along onto the show. Thanks to you for listening. Thank you to Barry. And thank you to everyone that emailed uh, to tell me how much and is still emailing as we speak to tell me how much you enjoyed the episode with Barry Cryer. If you haven't heard that one, if you're an American comic and you're sifting through these just listening to the Americans, then do yourself a favour and download a two-hour slice of British comedy history from an absolute legend, uh, Mr. Barry Cryer, old Bazza himself. Uh, that's the previous episode to this one so you can find that down on your on your itunes feed or wherever else you get your podcasts and why not use that opportunity to step in and uh, leave a nice pithy review especially if you're outside of uh, the uk uh, i'm going to read you a typical uh, email now this is from paul he says hi Stu, algorithm updated you were the lucky one who got to talk with barry cryer for two hours and i got to listen to it this morning on my commute to work two hour commute he'll explain in a second he said this is the third time i've donated to the Boutros fund and if you don't want to read any more no worries i'm a cool guy now, what that means, if you're new to the show, is that he's happy for me not to reply at length. Uh, if you want to put P.S. I'm a cool guy on any correspondence with me, info at comedianscomedian.com, then that basically lets me off the hook and lets me read a fabulously long and evocative and emotive email that you've sent me without feeling ashamed and terrible like I have to reply in similar length, which I never have time to do. So, uh, he says, I'm a cool guy. Suffice to end the start... I don't know what that means. Maybe that's a typo with Barry fucking Cryer. The middle bit. I travel for around five hours a day commuting from Glasgow to Montrose. Jesus. Always driving a 250 mile round trip every day. Paul, life is only so long. Starting around 5.45 in the morning. Doesn't finish till 7.30 in the evening. Your podcast gives me a huge deal of joy. Gets to the nitty gritty of most comedians' methods and is hugely entertaining. I stumbled upon it by accident and have gone through most of your back catalogue because of you. I now listen to Jimmy Pardo's Never Not Fun 
funny. I did my gardening only yesterday, Paul, in my Jimmy Pardo Never Not Funny hat. I love that guy. And through him have discovered Andy Kindler's Thought Spiral and Mark Maron's WTF. You've opened my ears to more comedy I could wish to laugh at. P.S. Barry fucking Cryer. Um, listen... The episode with Barry was so much fun to record. I was so uh, pleased and honoured and excited to be in his presence. And uh, if you haven't heard it yet, do look out for the bit where I get to tell him my favourite pub joke, the classic beekeeper's joke. So loads to enjoy there, and thank you for everyone that's enjoying that. If you too would like to be like Paul and make yourself feel great by donating to the Comedians Comedian podcast to support the show, you can do that at comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate. Feel free. You can set up a recurring subscription if you'd prefer for just a couple of pounds a month, uh, or you can pick a figure and do us a one-off donation, or go via Moonclerk or any of the other myriad options that are available there. Um, you can no longer buy a discounted T-shirt. By the time you hear this, the pre-sale will have closed. Thank you to everyone. Something like 150 of you have ordered T-shirts in advance which makes my life much easier administratively apart from the one massive day where I have to spend all day uh, writing labels and mailing stuff but I'm quite looking forward to that as well bit of time off isn't it it's like doing the old tax return so if you'd like to donate if you'd like to support the show comedianscomedian.com donate you can join the Facebook group to get intel yes intel on forthcoming guests and our questions and ask questions and so forth um, so that will do us for now do remember of course as if you as if you would forget that at the Edinburgh Festival this year you can catch up with an awful lot of previous uh, comedians comedian guests it still staggers me when i meet people who've never been to edinburgh uh, particularly if you live in the uk it's on your doorstep such a quick flight away or a, a lovely long megabus ride and you can get yourself up there and see literally the biggest arts festival in the world of course your first port of call will be my show at the liquid rooms annex for free but do bring money 345 every day uh, from the 5th to the 27th uh, that's called like i mean it and i'll tell you a little bit more about the show itself uh, in the post amble after this episode but there is an awful lot more i mean there's literally over 3000 other shows to enjoy so do get yourself up there and uh, and get stuck in that'll do let's get back to the fabulous very funny very charming orlando baxter Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What kind of a comic are you? Uh, sorry, what is um, I know, I hate asking people this. And I know it infuriates people to be asked this. I hate getting asked this as well. But for people who haven't seen you... People who've never seen me, I'm a, I guess I'm a guy that talks mainly about my life and situations that I, I've been in. Like, I'm not like a guy that kind of... I can talk about a bunch of different things. I don't think I've done it here. As obviously, I'm just kind of like doing what my agent's like. Oh, I just do. Make sure you do some of this. But I am a guy that can. When I just let myself go, like the koala, yeah, thing, joke when, of the night, yeah. When, <laughs> like when I just when I just let myself go, I can be like that. But it all has to be based on something that I went through. Yeah, it can't be anything that I haven't experienced. Like yes. at least not. 
at least that's how it's I interesting seeing you after watching Joe DeRosa yes. last night who's much more a kind of like he's he takes his own experience and then widens it into some outrageous point of view and yes. argues a, yeah, here's my topic here's my thing and he'll go he'll like drive a stake in and go that's the belief bang 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 here's the proof here's the all the rest of it you're much more a kind of a so I was doing this you know this happened to me yeah, I yeah. used to be a teacher that kind of stuff but the punchlines are no less strong for it yeah so you really it's really interesting because I'm I'm so unfamiliar with I see a lot of the bigger American comics I see you know people on Netflix and stuff like that and um, I see much less American club comedy so I've seen a little bit in the, the comedy store in LA and seen a few gigs around the place I do have a sense of the different kind of culture of stand-up comedy mm-hmm. like something <laughs> like uh, like biggest example American comics now every time I see an American comic do a club set or a short set everyone comes on adjusts a stool puts their phone down on the stool works and then while they're working goes back and keeps checking their phone like I don't know is that a set list or a timer <laughs> do you know what I mean that's just like one of those we, we try and conceal the moment where we look at our watch yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah I think Americans uh, sometimes people are recording yeah well, you don't need to look recording. at a recording yeah no usually I, put, I just put my phone in the pocket yeah respectful <laughs> I am respectful. I think that's why they keep having me coming back. But uh, yeah, that that is true, man. Like some, you know, they have this. Uh, I don't want to say it's an attitude, but uh, you know, some people are looking at their sets. Some people uh they got a new bit that they're trying to. I, I don't know why they do it, but I think they during the clubs and it's a shorter set. I think sometimes people are working on shit or they're not treating it the same way. Um, you you won't see that in a normal uh, um, just like a club show because the showcase shows are a lot different obviously than the regular show like a regular I do more regular shows than showcase shows like describe the difference to me in those terms uh, showcase show would be there's six or seven eight comics on one night and they're all doing between 15 to 20 minutes where a regular show to me, like when you normally do a club, say you were working a weekend somewhere in Boston or wherever, um, you know, you'd have the opener who does 15, the middler that does 20 to 25, and then the headliner will do 45 to an hour. And nobody is going up there, like kind of like looking at maybe the first guy okay. might in terms of that. But like, I think that's more of a showcase type Sure. Okay. Because it is. It's interesting you use that word attitude. Because to me, it 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 does establish an attitude, not necessarily in a negative way. It establishes like a real superiority of status. Yeah. Like, well, you guys are lucky to be listening to me try whatever I want. <laughs> you know, I can't help but do that. And uh, and I think that's really interesting. I've seen a lot of different types of comics all employ. Mm-hmm. you know employ that idea or maybe it's not even a deliberate thing maybe it's just maybe it's symptomatic of their actual attitude mm. maybe, what do you think is it like a deliberate is that supposed to be read by an audience as I'm just working out some stuff because I know I mean as, as I understand it the American uh, the system the economics of being a comic in America are that you really only can make a living when you're a headliner yes I, 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 are you a headliner yeah I do headline okay you do headline. I do headline. It is. You have headline, but you're, no, yeah, no, I, no, no. I'm a headliner. I usually headline. I just don't. But I think in the, in the states, the biggest difference is, uh, you know, un, unless you're a national headliner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 And then and you, that that means you get booked and you draw your crowd. Well, it just basically means you put asses in seats. Exactly. Because you can be, you can really not be a headliner, but you put asses in seats and be able to headline. 
Yeah. You understand what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Because it's all about, at the end of the day, it's all about the dough. How are you for asses? I'm horrible. No asses. <laughs> no asses. <laughs> I'm trying to get asses and see. Yeah, so, yeah. That's what. So I'm, I'm working. I'm working. Like, I, I think sometimes uh, uh, the credits that you have uh, opens uh, the door as far as, like, getting you in a lot more clubs. So, like, the credits that I have, like the Conan credit and some of the other things I've done, it gets me in the door with some of the national clubs, but not as many as I would. They like it's it's kind of like all right, you can you can you can be on the bench, you can be on the team, but you're on the bench. You're not gonna yeah. play like the regular guys. And is that frustrating? That's very frustrating. Well, especially if you're seeing someone who's like, I don't know what. Hey, have, this is a t- side note. Have YouTubers started to? Yes. YouTubers can put asses on seats, right? Yes. They can't necessarily do the job. Yes. So is that happening now? That's been happening and it's 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 difficult to watch because that can't that doesn't work under the uk system no you might get you might get a youtuber doing their tour show on a thursday night or you know taking over the whole venue and selling it out and everything i mean maybe our system is at risk from that kind of thing but you'll never get a youtuber close a club unless they can demonstrably close a club well that's a good thing i that in the the states in the states that doesn't it doesn't uh hold the same way they the youtubers that get into stand-up comedy and they're probably most of them the ones that i've seen there's a couple that are good a couple that are really good and deserve to headline but then there's some that i see and i'm like how you know but uh that's just the way the system is so it's a very it makes it very difficult for dudes that go on the road and headline and you know we struggle to get into some of the clubs. It's fascinating to just, I, I try to put myself in the position of a YouTuber who is almost, I'm not going to use the word parasite, but they're the new, they're the new kind of, you know, they're the, what's a good, there's like an animal analogy. They, we're in Australia, they're the cane toads. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're, they're arriving, they're taking everything over. From the perspective of that, what do they think of us, the guys driving up and down the country? Presumably they think, who are these, why are these dinosaurs? Why would you waste all that time yeah. Traveling on a freeway, going up and down, flying from one gig to another, when you can just knock out a lot of stuff in your bedroom. Yes, I, I think I think um, I think it's like kind of like a double-edged sword. Like it depends on how they do it. Like in terms of if you get a YouTuber to headline a show, as long as he brings his own opener, it's it's it's, it's helpful because if he goes and does a show and he has a guy like me featuring in front of them and I'm doing 20 to 25 of heat then it's going to be he's going to have it he's going to struggle but that's just for that's for headliners as well because obviously I don't headline everywhere because you know around my area around Boston or around New England in general I headline at all the clubs but in the Midwest I don't or other places you know I still got I'm still trying to get into some of these clubs as headliners but when I do do these shows or like when they say hey why don't you come out and feature for us so we can check you out so they put me in front of a headliner and all I'm saying is have your shit together because it it could be a long night if I'm going you know what I mean but um I don't know what you mean. Be you more don't. specific about what you mean. What I think you're implying I'm is implying that, that you're gonna go as hard as possible and try well, and make just, it hard for the headliners. I'm not even saying that like that. I'm just saying that I think not, I, I don't go in with that attitude. I just think that, you know, some people are really good. Like I'm not saying I'm really good, but I'm good enough to where you have to be good. Just put it I guess that's the best way to say it. 
You know what I mean? Like, I'm good enough at the feature job to where somebody that's headlining will, might say, you're not a feature. Yeah, right, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, you don't want to make life hard for them. I, I say that kind of playfully, like, you want to make it hard for them. But actually, yeah, you do want them, you want the headliner to go to have a word with the promoter and go, this guy's a headliner. Yeah, but, but it's just, it, it's, it's not, I'm not trying to. I, I, like, I, like, I think most comics, or the comics that I know, I don't think I know there's guys that come out and try to bury the guy follow that's going to follow them. I don't have that attitude. I'm just kind of doing what I do and consistently doing what I do. I do OK. So if you're a guy that is a headliner, but you're not that strong, it's going to be a, it's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy. It's not that I'm trying to bury you. I'm sure. just doing my job. Is that does that uh, ever have a downside if the headliner... Have you ever been in a situation... I'm just as, as a thought experiment here. If there's a headliner who you know can put asses on seats but doesn't have the skills that you've got, then do you ever have to think to yourself, I better temper this because I'm going to piss this guy off and I'm not going to get booked again by the club? Does that, does that ever come into the mm, equation? And it's just so different from our system. I'm just for, me, for me, not really. Like, for me, I just do what I do. I like, know. I try to be respectful, you know, in terms of, like, because some headliners would be like, hey, man, can you not use any profanity? Or, hey, man, can you not talk about this or that topic? Because profanity, because it would offend them or because they're... No, they not because... They want to use all those yeah, gears. they want to use No it. way! Well, I knew this, can like, the first act of... Don't do any crowd work. Don't do any crowd work. Because you've got to leave the crowd work for the headline. That is unthinkable to British audience. Yes, yes. <laughs> so all of that, you factor in. I'm so I'm respectful in that form. But usually, it, usually headliners won't say that to the feature so much, but they will for the uh, opener. You know, kind of like, you know, because, you know, opener. And I get that, though. I, yeah, yeah. I, I get the mentality because um, if you b- being the first comic sometimes was just a very difficult job. You you kind of set the tone for the audience. So if you're going back and forth and the audience is thinking, oh, it's OK for me to yell shit out and do this, that and the other. And that carries over to the feature act. Then the headline is the one who's dealing with them at their drunkest, at their most tired. Like, it's not like the UK. The thing that I loved about the UK that completely shocked me was the intermissions. Yeah, close. That blew me away. I'm like, why are we doing this? Because I just had no idea. And then people came back and it was like, you're starting the engine. Yeah, yeah. And it means we don't have a check drop. No check drop. No check drop. That would drive me nuts if I was headlining in the US and during the bit of my material, which is like, oh, I've really been working to gather all this momentum, suddenly people are legitimately having loud conversations yes. all over the room. It's insane. Yeah, it is. It is. But you know, I'm so used to it. Yeah, of course. Like, because you know, all right, you can just tell. You don't beat yourself up. At first, yeah, yeah. you're beating yourself so up. So you've over. got check drop stuff? You've no, got check no, drop I material? Just, I just don't... I guess I ignore it at some point. Like, so I know, like, oh, okay, the... Their heads are down. Yeah. They're looking at this check, you know, and I could, I don't even have the material. I just kind of like, I just, I don't know. I just kind of get Be less needy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not going to do my big joke when I know that the check is going to drop. You know what I mean? It's just more like I I might do crowd work during that time. Just whatever. But you just, you just adjust to it. And I think that, you know, a lot of times, uh, I remember when I was a feature, mainly featuring, and I was like, man, I want to be a headliner. And uh, this this older headlining comic out in Boston says to me, uh, you know, you know, you're going to you, you you'll know you're a headliner when you can bomb for 45 minutes. 
I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, man, because if you can, because because if you can bomb for the whole time frame, that means you can do the time. Because if you have good 45, right, and then say you do a, have a crowd that it doesn't go well, that 45 might turn into 30. Yeah, yeah, 25. yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you learn. It's not necessary, and to me, I'm always like, it's not about the time. A lot of people think it's about the time. I think you think about the time when you think, oh, man, I got to do 45 minutes to an hour. And you think about the time. But it's really not about the time. I just think that you have to have the ability to close out the show. And some people can close and some people can't. Put a, put a pin in what those abilities are to close. What kind of things are you talking about? I mean, I totally agree with you, but I want to hear what your idea of those attributes look like. <sighs> It's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to describe. You just got to be able to carry the the best way I can put it is I, I know you guys I don't know if they're familiar with baseball analogies, but there's different types. We could struggle, but we'll go. We'll we try could it. struggle. Let's try to struggle. Okay, there's different types of pictures. Pitchers, guys, throw the ball at the batters, uh, and there's guys that start the game and they'll awesome pitches and they'll pitch for baseball is usually nine innings. So they'll pitch for like six innings, right? And then they'll bring in some middler, like they're called middler pitches, right? They come in the middle and they'll do one or two uh, innings. And then at the end of the game, there's a closer, right? They only pitch in one inning, maybe more if it gets extended. But it takes a certain type of attitude to come in and be able to close out a game. And I think that, you know, when you're a headliner, at least in the States, at least that what I feel like, you know, the sh- a show has to go a certain way. It can't go up and down. And a lot of times, even though that middle spot is the ideal spot, it's the best spot. It's the easy spot. You're not starting the show, getting the cushy spot. You're only doing like 20, 25 minutes. The headliner has to close the deal. They got to seal the deal. So what qualities I think they would have, they just have to have the ability to control a crowd with laughter through, uh, you know, while they're drunk, while they're tired and make the people leave feeling like this was a, this was a good show. The show went the way it was supposed to go. You don't want it to be where the middle guys like destroy, like they said, Dan Cook, when he was in Boston. And like I said, in new England, there's all these, these big Boston headliners and Dan Cook, when he was featuring, would come to these shows and destroy the shows. He was that, like to the point where nobody wanted to work with him because he was that good. And I think when you get to that point, that's when you know you should be closing out a show. Yeah. So I guess that's the big thing. When you get to the point where you're giving every headline a hard time, you deserve to be. I think it's something about authority as well. I always, I, you can tell a closer, there's a certain type of closer. Mm-hmm. Like I remember the first time I ever saw a headliner come on stage and take a stool and sit down. And yeah. I was like, oh, oh my God, <laughs> I sat, I sat forward in my chair. Oh, this yeah. guy is, com- what, what was I, what was yeah. I thinking? Again, it's like, it's in a different way to the looking at the phone thing, but it's like a subtle, yes. it's an intangible kind of a, oh, this is different. This guy. He's happy sitting down. Yes. Is he just old? No, yeah. it's authority, right? <laughs> There's some kind of 
Yes. Yeah, like a closer picture. Okay, that's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah. Well, except uh, obviously when you're headlining, you're not doing one inning. You're doing a ton. You're doing the majority of the work. Sure, sure, sure. Bulk of the work. But uh, yeah, man. But uh, back to the. You made a point about the uh, the YouTubers. And I just wanted to say this. The hard part for the YouTubers is if they don't bring their own guy in front of them that they can kind of follow, then it's an issue. You know what I mean? Yeah, because there'll be a club feature yes. who's good and attuned to a club and then a YouTuber who has a huge following and is probably good at attracting a huge following on YouTube but does not necessarily have gears, yeah, they don't. material. It's, ha- it's, it's happened a bunch of times. And, it's, and, then, and this doesn't even go for YouTubers. This can be celebrities that yeah, are right. okay. just, yeah, they have the name and they have the, the, the they asses. can put asses in yes. the seats. <laughs> they got the asses. This, the show notes for this episode are going to be me and Orlando Banks to discuss asses. <laughs> asses. Asses. And, uh, but they, you know, they get, they get mopped up, man. They get, they struggle. I've seen it happen. I've seen dudes. I've done shows where there are certain people that close out the show and people just walk out, you know, because you're there for a long time. That's what I love about comedy. You can't hide. I don't care how, how many asses you put in seats. If you're doing 45 minutes, you can't hide if you put somebody up that's really strong in front of you. There's no hiding. So, yeah, you get in the money, but you got to deal with that fucking embarrassment. So do the YouTubers bring like tissue soft features they should if they're smart i don't think they i don't think they do because i i think that some of them you know it's ego like i I work with somebody who said uh after the show after about 20 people walked out on this particular person and after the show he's like man you had a good set man but uh that wasn't my crowd tonight right Mm -hmm. that's what he said the first night second night third like they they're just i think sometimes when you're a celebrity, you're like kind of like oblivious to the reality. Yeah, I think that's that's almost a necessary attribute to become a celebrity is you have to be able to look reality in the eye and go, no, no, I deserve more than this. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mean that's all the people? No, I wouldn't say all the people, but I certainly know people who are, you know, Tom Stade, brilliant comic. I don't know if you saw Tom Stade when you were in Edinburgh, fantastic comic. He said on this podcast, if you want to be a star, fucking act like one. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who are doing that half of the equation. Yes. <laughs> you know? yes. So let's let's bring it back to you and the, your your process. Mm-hmm. So I I guess this your material the, the two sections that I saw on, on the Conan thing that people can see yeah. online. Mm-hmm. You've got the uh, the encounter in the shop with the black people using sunblock. Yes, yes. And uh, I was watching that. I mean, I'd, I'd seen you before at setlist. I'd seen a video stuff, and uh, it was the word ability. Excuse me, ability. That, yes. I mean, that went. Oh yeah, of course I'm going to get Orlando on the show. Because <laughs> that's a very well written bit, and I guess it's kind of a showcase. Showcase in the sense of like. That's what your manager would say. You should do that in Melbourne. You should do yes, that on Conan. Yes. That's like a bit. So is that a bit that you... And we can talk about that because anyone listening to this who cares to do so can uh, watch that online. Um, is How long have you had that bit for? How, for how long have you been refining that bit? Uh, that one hasn't been too long. Maybe, maybe. I'm not trying to catch you out. No, no, no. I'm trying to think. Two years, maybe? Okay. Two, maybe about two years. Like for me to like really get it because what I, what will happen with me is I really don't write right. Like I kind of like the whole like the koala thing. Like as soon as I find something, I'll keep playing with it on stage 
and then I'll remember more details. And then I feel we've I feel we've, we've mentioned the koala thing twice. Do you want to just butcher, no, butcher yeah, the bit for us so people uh, know what we're talking about? I, it's I mean, it's a facial that. expression. It's not going to yeah, work. It is, yeah, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. <laughs> um, it's um, well, oh, well, I'll talk about that bit. So when it happened, when the lady said what she said, if you listen to the bit. I remember being on stage and kind of saying it, and uh, I got a laugh uh, on one of the parts. Uh, uh, what was it? I got a laugh right on the beginning because it's not what I said to her, but it's what I thought. Like that, for the first punchline that I say when she said, "For what?" You know, I said what I was thinking. So what? I, what will happen with me is I'll stop thinking about the experience and be like, "Damn, what would I have?" What should I really have said? And then how would this have conversation would have went? And then I just I, I'll just keep continuing it and continuing it until it makes sense to me. Until I kind of just figure out. So the, the, everything is based on a real experience, and then I kind of form it on stage. But I just keep talking about it. And have you? How has that process come about? Have you tried other things? Have you tried sitting down and writing out longhand? I have the beats of it. I, st- I started. I started like that. I started like that, and I didn't like. Uh, and maybe I should go back to it because I think you write <laughs> way more than the way that you, I'm inspired by experiences. Um, you wait to be inspired. I do, or or I just do things, and I just talk about whatever I'm doing. And then I just wait for that shit to get good. <laughs> but you're on the Edinburgh train now. You've got to turn over an hour a year. I'm, yeah, no, I'm I like know. Like most American coins. Yes, that was You've just, made the deal with the devil. I'm, I'm, I was so blown away and just like impressed by Edinburgh. Like it just blew me away that people were writing a new hour every year. Just like, what the hell is Well, it? good for you because I've had American acts on this who've said, why do you do that? It's ridiculous. How do you ever get good gear? And that's a valid... I guess though I'm bemoaning at this festival I'm like oh god that bit that I've been doing for the last 70 shows that I'm now doing the show here which the show I take this show back to the UK I do 15 more tour dates and then it's over Yeah. and there's a bit in it now that's really starting to really morph and come into its own and I'm like Edinburgh as a festival won't let me take that bit back next year and work on it it's infuriating yeah yeah and that's that's uh, that's the downside of it I guess But, but but I am impressed with the shows that I've seen and seeing people do an hour. And I'm like, this is, you did all this within a year. That's very impressive to me. You know, um, I, I, I guess some Americans are like, ah, that's, is it good? I'm like, dude, it's good. But they can say that if they've never been here to see the types of acts, you know, you can easily talk shit when you're fucking, you're never going to go there. And you're just going to just have this general assumption of, what else is out there outside of America but I've seen some phenomenal acts and um, I think uh, even the the storytelling form because people oh you gotta have this theme and this arc and I'm like yeah but it's funny the shit is funny like you can't deny funny yeah, you know so I'm really impressed with it Um, it's something that I want to do again I don't think I'll be able to write another hour in a year a year's time but I think it's a little harder to do that format um, in America, in a sense, because of the, like I said, the club set, the 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 opener, middle, or headliner kind of mentality, and then they want to hear the jokes right away. Like they're not as open to you fucking this theme or this art. But I will say this: when I came back to America after doing Edinburgh. 
And I decided to do a couple of shows and add in some of the arcs that I never would have added in before that. They love them. Something I've noticed in UK comedy is that we are starting, now that there's so much American stuff available to us, Netflix, Spotify, yes. online, iTunes, whatever, um, we are start, and also because I think people have been going up and doing themed narrative arc shows for years and years and years, we're almost starting to go, no, I'm going to do a more American-style show. I'm just going to turn up funny, 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 bits of the, the material can exist in any order forget the callbacks just do the do the bit funny 10 funny 10 funny 10 in any order and then at any point where I get a round of applause good night <laughs> that seems to me that seems to me to be the American club set way of yes. doing it you build up to a thing until it's inescapable they all start clapping and then you're like and that turned out to be yeah. the end I've made the decision now I'm out I yes guess. yes that is that's very American right there it's, it's really interesting to hear that it's happening the other way around that you know we're cross-pollinating you're yes, taking the idea of arcs back to America yeah no no definitely for me it's been uh, it's been very uh, it's been very helpful because it just made me think uh, in a way that I wasn't thinking before and uh, like I said even with those the, the audiences it's a lot more conservative so like going back home is funny because it's like you know, America's they they fucking laugh. Like there was one point when I was in Edinburgh, I, I might have been there for about twenty days, and you know I was watching some show, and you know I'm in the crowd and I'm watching whoever performing, and then I heard this loud laughter and I just turned around. I was like, Americans. <laughs> I've been I've been I've been uh, I've been changed by this festival. I realized we laugh a lot easier, and we just laugh at uh, almost anything. So coming back home, it's it, it almost felt easier. Yeah, right. That's, to be that's, with you. It's a good way around to have it. Yeah. You know, I, I'll go to America. I'll go, God, they're all polite here. They're big laughers. This is so great. Go back to the UK. All right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> now, yeah, yeah. now I'm back to hecklers yeah. and all that kind of shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then and, and London's a different ball game as well because I didn't realize I went to some Piccadilly, I don't know, Piccadilly Club, comedy club. Yeah, or something. there's a Piccadilly comedy club. And, uh, Soho comedy club in Piccadilly. There's a club. Yeah, there was the. I forgot where I went, but it was fucking rowdy, man. It was like. Stag parties and it, mm-hmm. and I just was like, "What the fuck is this?" They just going ape shit, but it was cool. It was cool. Like I was like, "All right, I've done shows like like with it. yeah." And presumably, I mean, you've got gear, you've got like put downs, you've got your yeah, own kind yeah, of stuff. You just gotta like you just don't use that so often in America because people tend to be more polite. Well, no, I don't think they're. It depends on what kind of crowd you're in front of. I, I've 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 taken my share of fucking. Shots to the face. Quick, man. play Rawhide. <laughs> yeah, man. I, it just fucking... Like, to me, I think some of the... I don't know if this is racist, but I, I think uh, some of the... Some of the audiences, some of the more urban audiences, uh, <laughs> the more diverse Are you audience. a black man using the word urban yes, to I subtly imply black people? Yes. <laughs> black... black uh, I'm, I'm saying urban. I'm saying urban more because... Mm-hmm. It's just a little. It's it's just a little more. It's, it can be difficult. They're, they they can be not not from. Uh, I'm not. I'm just speaking in general. They they're not as easy. You got to be funny. If you're not funny, they will let you know you're not funny. And uh, I've done shows where one time I did a show. I, I, I it was horrible. Like uh, there was this. Uh, I was in this room and uh, it was this bar, black bar in, in Roxbury, in Boston, and. Uh, it was like a guy uh, on the wall. And, uh, 
you know, I made this comment about the guy on the wall. And <laughs> I didn't realize the guy had died, and okay. it was like, the, and it was just fucking downhill after that. <laughs> Who's this douchebag? You yeah. bother putting a framed <laughs> photo <laughs> up on the wall? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was just, and it was just like this is very, I mean, like fucking tough. Like people know about this room, and uh, everything is just dying. And then I, so I get nothing. But the good thing is, it, it wasn't even like they didn't boo me or heckle me. They just, they just talked. Like you can, yeah. it was like I wasn't there. I didn't exist. And then um, I get off the stage, and um, <laughs> the host, uh, this guy named Jonathan Gates, uh, very funny comic out of Boston. He just looks at me, and he's he looks at his watch, and he looks at his phone, and he looks at me, and he's trying to settle the crowd down. And he's like, "Man." I have never received so many texts in my life saying, get this motherfucker off the stage. <laughs> I'm sitting in the corner like, Jesus Christ. But I went back a month later and I redeemed myself and I've never been back since. That was about eight years ago. I was like, yeah, I was done. I'm done. We quit. Yeah, man. But uh, to me, internationally, uh, I mean, I've, I've been learning so much about myself, just watching other comedians as well as just understanding that culturally, no matter where you go, there are certain things that are important to people, and then there's certain things that are not. And you finding out and knowing kind of the difference between what is important and what's not can be helpful in terms of material. Yes, and I think that is, uh, I think that's like the, the junior level of that is turning up at the club and going, so what's the area around here where people X, Y, Z? But the senior, the elite level of that Mm -hmm. is about exactly as you say knowing what's important to people in the audience one of my uh, one of my comedy heroes and a lot of people's I mean he's a, a very well known comic in the UK got banned from a lot of clubs in the 80s a guy called Ian Cognito mm -hmm. fantastic comic mm -hmm. look forward to getting him on the show um, his opening line used to be my, apologies Ian uh, I may butcher this in the delivery but his own opening line used to be my name's Ian Cognito and I'm not the best comedian you're ever going to see but I am the best in my price range and that to me is just a perfect A1 diamond grade opening line because not only does it, it not only is it boasting and self-deprecating yeah. not only is it a really functional joke that just works structurally beautiful what it says is it contains that understanding of what's important to yeah. everyone in the room like we'll you know rather than coming on and going I look like this my hair's like this these are all my issues just that my price range everyone's yeah. like oh we've all got it <laughs> everyone knows where we are in their thing and I think that's um, that that is a really uh, that gives a room incredible confidence I mm -hmm. think in an act if they get that you get what they get yeah so what what aspects of your own performance are you looking to improve on or what things are there what, what things are there because I, I always like it when I meet comics who go and see other shows because I know a lot of comics go to a festival do their shows get drunk hang out I, I run around the place seeing as many shows as I can what things have you seen here or in Edinburgh where you've thought ah oh, that I don't know if I'll ever do that or I don't know if I'll Maybe maybe that could be useful to me. Those kind of quotes. I think the uh, I think the writing aspect to it, man. Like uh, I just seen a lot of really good comics that just made me think, like, oh, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta write more. Or there's a there's a story here. Or like, cause sometimes like uh, I think in America we, well, at least for me, I mean, not even say I think in America, uh, like you get the jokes and you get the laugh, and then you kind of you don't continue to dig deeper and I've seen a couple comics where I'm like I could do a little bit more 
with this bit that I'm doing. Who in particular has inspired you along those lines? I seen um ooh, now you put me to the test. I seen uh you know really I seen Sarah what's her last name? Sarah Pascal Kendall. I seen Sarah Kendall. Big uh, big ginger hair. Yeah and I I I really love their show. I seen guys like um let's see there's a guy that I seen in London um his name Nigerian uh, guy Fumbi Oba wait uh, what's his oh, name oh it's Prince Abdi Somalian guy no this guy's this guy's from he's from I know him because I know his cousin his cousin actually lives in the same city as me um, I just forget my mind is blank right now he's such a good writer like unbelievable writer um, damn I got it's like Oba o- Oma uh, I seen him at Top Secret. Ola. Ola. Ola the comedian. Yes. Love Ola. It's fantastic. Right? Love Ola. I seen uh this sounds a weird I'm naming like all the black comics and uh I like Dane Baptiste. I seen him the first year when I, I, I went to Edinburgh. Um there was oh, I forgot her name. Oh, I'm bad with names, man. I have the worst memory in the world. But but there's got there's guys that I just see where I, where I watch and I I just listen to the material and I'm like oh I could put more into it like just don't go just for you know I do a lot of personal stuff so sometimes I'm like oh I could dig deeper or um, I think for me I got to start there's a lot of dark stuff that I have that I kind of don't touch on because I'm thinking ah people are not gonna really get it they're not from here. But I like I did a joke last night that was kind of like darker. Which one? Because I saw last night. Which oh, those, did you, were you there when I said about my father? Did which I do that, that last well, night? I don't know if you did. Which what was the line? That I was talking about how I met my father when I was yes, there. yeah, Christ, yeah, the B the BMX bike. Yes, yeah, that's all that's, true. That's true. That's true. That's not even a joke. But that's what I mean. I don't write jokes. Like I'll write jokes based off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but I, what I'll but I'll form it. I mean, obviously, I'll it? exaggerate. Sure. But it's based on... Was he on the guy in the handlebars? He was the oh, guy Oh, man. Just, I mean, I feel we've got, if you don't mind, it's not going to burn the bit to put it on here. People are going to enjoy coming to see it when they see you. Yes. So you're talking about meeting your real yeah, father. for the first time, and, uh, and I turn around. And, and you're just, 10 years old. Yeah, I'm 10 years old, and uh, I've never met him. I heard about him. I never met him. And then... Uh, I mean, obviously, you hear about him, but uh, I never seen him, never met him. And uh, he was just, I turn around and I hear somebody calling my name and there's these two black guys approaching me on one bicycle. And then, you know, one guy's pedaling the bike, the other guy's on the handlebars of the bike. And the, the, the obviously, the joke, it's not even really a joke. It's true, like, because in my mind, I was like, oh, when I meet my father, things are going to change around, da, 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 da. And, uh, you know, I just envisioned in my head that he was going to be this rich guy. And then uh, when you see everything change <laughs> in that situation. And uh, I don't want to kill the bit. Cause no, no, no. Because there's more to the bit. It's just when I was doing it last night, I kind of just did it in a way. It just did it in a different way. But there's more into it. It's, it's insanity. My, my life is, is really crazy has been really crazy. And sometimes I just get, uh, like, even I was going to write my second Mel, uh, Edinburgh thing just based on kind of how I grew up. But then I just kind of was like, I need to just chill. 
Why do you need to just chill? That no. sounds like an incredible wealth no, of information. I, I know, I know. And my agent was just kind of telling me, like, yeah, oh, you, you could write about this and you could write about that. And then I just was kind of like, I, I don't think I was in the. Uh, I think you got to be in a place to do that. Like, yeah. When it, the material is dark sometimes, and it's personal sometimes, and it's still like impacts you sometimes yeah you got to be okay with putting it out to the public absolutely and i feel like there's certain pieces i'm able to pull out and talk about to the public but if i need to go deeper you know I, I, it's not like i haven't worked and that's the thing i was saying about just going deeper with some of the material because there's a lot of stuff about my life that people just be like i just tell about the good part so hey i was a teacher i was a bad one but i was <laughs> i was i was one but uh you know my agents always like you got so many more interesting areas in your life that you need to kind and of that is a push. real challenge for a comedian if you have those things to talk about and those could be I, I the analogy I would use here is I remember doing a yoga class years ago where someone actually said a, a thing I, I will always remember, which is it's about bending over and you know you're standing, you're bending over, touch your toes, and it's they just said just roll up, let every vertebra in your spine, you just feel them all, and the ones where you want to skip it, those are the ones you need to be working. Yeah. The ones where you want to go, I'm rolling up one, two, three, I'll just do four, five, six. Yeah. That's the stuff. Now, maybe that's true of comedy as well. The stuff that you're shying away from, yeah. maybe that's the stuff that is going to become your most powerful stuff, yeah. your most meaningful stuff. Yeah. And that's interesting that you recognize that. But equally, you know, if you haven't resolved that stuff for yourself, maybe the best, maybe the most useful thing for your life and yeah, your soul exactly. is not to sanity. milk it all like, for life. Yeah, great show. I'm going to go kill myself. <laughs> Was that what you're worried about? You're worried about turning your uh, off or you're worried no. about upsetting yourself? Uh, it's a combination of both. It's a combination of, uh, I, I think, I think sometimes when you're just getting older, you become more comfortable with yourself. And the same thing when you're on stage, you become comfortable with yourself on stage and the material that you're delivering. And uh, I think the deeper you go sometimes, because I think a lot of people, are, some people are telling very deep and personal things. And those are the guys that I kind of like, I like, like I like the Doug Stanhopes and the, you know, he's from my city. Like his, his dad was a teacher in my city. Okay. He's from there. Yeah. So like guys like that. And you, so I look at those guys and I'm always like, oh, I want to kind of like, push and talk tell me if you don't want to talk any further about that kind of stuff I suppose I'm interested in exactly what you talk about when you mean the darker stuff in I, your life I, think, I don't want to pry yeah no I'm just interested saying, in the how that how a guy who went through whatever it is yeah deals with being a comedian because of or in spite of that or, or what, what kind of what sort of sphere are we talking about uh, I think that uh, sometimes it's just a fear of Wanting or, or or letting the public know everything about you, you know what I mean. Like you want to keep some things to yourself because I am a comedian, meaning like I don't need to talk about all my personal stuff to be funny. I think Chris Rock doesn't talk much about his personal life, and he's still funny as hell. And there are plenty of comics like that. But because I, I do have a tendency to talk about my experiences. I'm, I lean towards that side of it a little bit more, but like some of the more of the lighter side. Not I don't get real, real dark, but there are there are bits that I have that are a lot darker that I just 
I do once in a while. Like I, I do it when I'm bombing, when I don't care. It's <laughs> <laughs> time I'm, for a bowling. Yeah, yeah. When I when I when I've completely given up, I'll go real. I'll get nasty. Not nasty, but just real. Like, all right, this happened, and people are kind of like, oh my god, was that? Did you make that up? And I'm like, and unfortunately. So, like, given that this is stuff, do you mind telling us what sort of thing you're talking about? I mean, I just, I like I said, I grew up very, uh, very rough. My whole uh, father situation was diff- difficult. My mother's situation was, you know, I, uh, you know, she was on, uh, she was on substance. She had a drug problem, bad drug problem, and. You know, so I dealt with a lot of crazy, crazy shit growing up and dealings with people in that life, uh, you know, the crackheads and this like stories about them and stories about, you know, uh, and I don't mind telling this part of it because my mother's fine now and, you know, she's been sober for 20 something odd years and um, she's doing very well. Um but just how I grew up. I grew up real difficult. Uh, that's the best way that I can say it. And um, uh, sometimes I, uh, it's funny when I like meet having these wars with, uh, I would have wars with people that were on drugs in terms of like, you know, because they would, they would, you know, knocking on my door trying to like, hey, you know, get my mother to leave. And I would do all these things, man. Like I would have these fights and, these these uh, things where I would because I didn't want them to be at my house and I had younger brothers and I was always trying to protect my younger brothers so I would have these like battles and when I look back on them it was fucked up but when I look back on them I see the funny in it but it's do I want to put it out like do I want to do I want to re- rehash these old feelings that don't exist anymore because my life isn't like that it's like so far different from what it is now you know like even the stuff about my father like I found out when I was in Edinburgh I found out I have a sister holy shit dude I, I have insane like my life is is real crazy so it's it's me getting to a place where I feel comfortable talking about all that and do you aspire to that do you want to get to a yes, place yes I, I do you do you I do I do I think that uh, you know I, I think that eventually I will get there but uh, and I think like festivals like this are very helpful in terms of because in the UK or at Edinburgh and even here it's, everybody's talking about personal stuff and it's like this theme and that's real inspiring to me and maybe that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm so fascinated by it and I'm just kind of like she just did a whole like routine about one day in her life where you don't see that in the States. So for me personally, and for my own journey uh, as a comedian and just as somebody that's been through a lot in my life, uh, that's inspiring to me. Moth to a flame. I mean, maybe that's why you came to Edinburgh in the first case. If you, if you, something you gleaned from Hannibal going, oh, everyone does these shows like that. Do you think there's some element where you're like, oh, I want to be able to talk about that stuff? Yeah, there, there, there is a part of me. Because when I came here, I obviously didn't know what to expect. I just knew it was going to be a lot of shows. There were going to be a lot of comics. I wanted to see what it was like. And my only experience, international experience prior to that was being on like, these, it was like a little showcase competition. So I had no idea about the long hour show. So to see, like, you know, to hear Sarah Kendall tell this story about this death of her friend and to bring but to me that was just it kind of blew me away and I think that's probably what excited 
my uh, Mick Perrin and everybody because when we went out to lunch and we started talking about things and I was talking about my life, I don't mind telling people like on a personal level, but to put it out there publicly is completely different. Yeah. Um, and and so you, yeah, that's interesting. You would say, okay, from a producer promoter point of view, oh, maybe that's part of the package. Yeah, that They're is like, pro- Orlando. Well, yeah, yeah. ready? <laughs> we can we can sell this. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, you know that's an area. Like to go back to your, your question, that's an area that I definitely I definitely need to write more personal things that but it's like you know i'm in this place too where i'm still trying to get on as an american comic you know um it's weird i say this all the time i probably know more uh uk comics that are doing very well or just comics from outside of the u.s that are doing very well as opposed to inside the U.S. I know a ton of comics, but I don't know them, know them. You know, the few that I do know. Yeah, because um, you meet them for a weekend here and there. Here or, and there, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a different... And I'm trying to break big in the in the U.S. as well. So what I have is working. So sometimes when you have something that's working and you're trying to see where it takes you, it puts a lot of other things Yeah, it's background. funny, isn't it? If this were a movie... This would, this interview were a movie. This would be the bit where I go, but don't you see, Orlando? It's the death, you know what I mean. That stuff. That's what's going to make you break yeah, everything yeah. anywhere. But you know, it's real life, and maybe you start writing stuff about your your darker past, and maybe there, maybe you do experience a three year bump in the states when people are like, no, we didn't want to hear this stuff. And maybe then you soar out of that like a phoenix and become huge, or maybe you don't. Amazing. So yeah, it's real life, right? It's what real life. Maybe you don't. It's not a movie, man. So yeah, so that's uh, you know, so that's like a struggle that I have. But like I said, every time I, every time I go overseas, I feel like I'm inspired again, just because I'm seeing people doing these one man shows, which don't really exist like that. In the states, everything is like kind of a bunch of material put together with a big closer at the end. I uh, I wonder about the the difference in kind of something. I can't even remember where I heard this, but it keeps coming into mind. I've mentioned it a few times on the podcast. Is that a comedian is simultaneously the most powerful and the most vulnerable person in the room? Yeah, I can't remember who said it. No apologies for using it without attribution. Someone reminds me, I'll start crediting whoever it is every time. Um, but it seems to me like the U.S. style, the the spots, five, tens, bang, 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 got to get paid, got to get the laughs, got all that kind of stuff. That seems to lend itself, as does the U.K. club circuit. So, so say the clubs, be mm-hmm. the U.S., U.K. Those prize power, mm-hmm. power being the most powerful person in the room is the most important thing. Something that really is prized greatly at festivals is being the most vulnerable person. Yes, you know, and being prepared to go there. That's what when when awards nominations come out year after year, they're not they're not designed to uh, point the man in the street to the most appropriate comedy show for them. Yes. I was talking to local comedian, local to Melbourne, a comedian called Dave Thornton last night about this, and. Uh, we were saying, you know, the awards don't exist as a means of highlighting the most suitable shows for the majority of the comedy-going public. The awards seem to serve the people who choose the awards, and it's almost like they're saying these are the best shows for if you've seen as much comedy as we have. Mm-hmm. These are the most refreshing shows. These are the most inventive or innovative shows. And I say that completely without prejudice. I mean, mm-hmm. it's an entirely valid thing. Um, but... So what they love is people being vulnerable. Yeah. And that necessarily isn't what works in clubs and therein lies. Yes. That's very difficult, you know. So 
I mean, I I, I agree. Like, it, I I remember trying to the before I was came to Edinburgh uh, and just being in the U.S. and being like, oh man, I gotta find some time to work on this set, this hour set. And I remember trying it at the club. And I was like, wah, wah. And I was like, I can't, I can't, I gotta do it in like kind of like spots, like certain spots, because it's difficult to do in the clubs. Yeah. The club scene is different, man. You have a, some feature act comes up and they're like fucking hammering jokes home for 25 minutes. And now you want me to come up and tell this story on this one topic. For the, and it was, it's, it's hard, you know. So that's But if you do that, you're going to be the only guy in America doing that, are you? Or you're going to be, you know what I mean? If yeah, you, very few. Yeah. you nail that, yeah, then, you whoa, that headliner, that closer, yeah. he just talked about one thing. Yes. I think it would be good, but see, and this is where I think it could benefit me. It could benefit me, like on something like, uh, like your own special. Yes, you know what I mean. Like, if, because you're not, you don't have that extra pressure of the other comics coming before you, and even if you do that time, you can. It just it seems like it's better. Like people are more impressed. Like, oh, okay, this is this isn't stand up, but it's still funny, and it's kind of stand up, and it, but it's there's a theme involved with it, and I think that's where it becomes beneficial. Like, so, you know, and that's what I'm trying to shoot for myself. Give me a Netflix special. Doing half an hour specials now. I don't know if you know this. Netflix is doing half hours? I think so. Oh, it's a game changer. I heard, yeah, that's a game changer for a lot of comics, man. That's the territory of tomorrow, isn't it? Netflix. Like, you could, that's almost like YouTube plus road miles. Yeah. Netflix. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Get the road miles, do a good job, put it on Netflix, put it in people's homes, and that's how how we can keep the YouTubers out. Yes, yes. To have that kind of profile. Is that what everyone in the States is looking every, for at the moment now? Yeah, everyone wants a every, Netflix. Special. Everything in the States is all Netflix. I mean, I think everything else, the Comedy Central half an hour, and it, it doesn't hold the same weight anymore. I don't think the uh, some of the cable networks, uh, the HBOs and Showtimes, I don't think they hold as much. I could be wrong, but... And Netflix like, will never release the numbers. So no one knows how many people saw their show on Netflix. Exactly. So, but I, I just think that I've seen what it has personally done, and I've heard uh, to uh, a, a comedian friend of mine, as well as just heard other comics on podcasts and the impact Netflix has had on them in terms of going from doing comedy clubs to doing strictly theaters, which is huge. It's game changer. Which other comedian would it be most narratively satisfying if they killed you? What can me would be <laughs> if they killed me? Um, hmm. Uh, Chris Rock. I would say Chris Rock, man. That's that's my guy. If anybody's gonna kill me, let it let it be him. <laughs> what would you have engraved on your comedy gravestone? Hmm. It all worked out in the end, I guess. It all worked out in the end. Just because my life was kind of crazy, and now like it's getting a lot better than what it was in the beginning. So it all worked out in the end. Let's leave it there. Thanks, man. All right, brother. So that was Orlando. Thank you for listening to that. Thank you very much, everyone in Melbourne who looked after me. It's always nice to listen back to these uh, older episodes and remember the lovely time we had at that festival. I do hope to return next year. We'll see about that. Uh, That would be an awful lot of fun. 
more coming up from Melbourne soon. We've got Ivan Aristigeta, we've got uh, Anne Edmonds, Nick Cody, and a couple of other bits and bobs besides. Next week, I'm fairly certain I'm going to bring you Simon Munnery. Now, if you're a com-completist, you will probably have gleaned by now that Simon Munnery is one of my very favourite comics in the world. He was a huge part of why I started doing comedy. I've tried not to gush or be too fanboy-y uh, when I was talking to him in the garden of his beautiful house. And uh, the beautiful garden with freshly sorted soil, sieved soil in his garden, for goodness sake. Um, so uh, I tried not to gush too much. I didn't always succeed, but uh, it, it is... I mean, you know, if you've listened to the show, you will have heard the sheer number of times I use him as an example, quote his wisdom, quote his jokes to use as examples for things, or generally bang on about uh, how much I'm a fan of his work. I came away from that interview absolutely buzzing, so don't miss out on that one. Uh, next week, episode 200 and God knows, 213, is it even? Is that possible? With Mr. Simon Munnery. So listen out for that. Thank you very much for listening. Donate at comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate. You can support the show and make me feel as good for doing the show as you feel for listening to it. Is that reasonable? Seems pretty reasonable. Thank you, everybody. And I will keep chatting to you if you'd like to stick around for a moment for the postamble. But uh, for now, that concludes the podcast. I'll speak to you soon. Okay, well, here we go. I had a preview last night where it all came together. I had the one. I had every year. I do a show. I record all of my gigs for quality and training purposes. I record all the previews so I can listen back to them uh, in a cafe on my own the next day. And I listen to them. And uh, I don't know how you note your previews or your recordings if you make them. Uh, but I normally title them with, you know, with uh, the, the show I'm working on so that I can just sort of scroll to it. This is dull but true. Um, so like I mean it this year, the acronym is L-I-M-I. So I'll tag it LIMI. And then the name of the town I was in, the name of the venue. And then I will say something like some good bits, question mark, or mm, the flexitarian bit worked well. Listen back anyway. I frequently do that if it wasn't great i go there was one bit in the middle you try and give yourself a little note so when you look back down them you make yourself listen back to them and i'm normally quite good i think the vast majority of guests on this show go oh i record them and never listen back i'm i'm normally pretty good tell you what just as a little precursor when we get to the avan aristogeta podcast you are going to completely revolutionize the way you look at comedy writing it's God, I almost, it's one of the ones that I don't want to release. Dara, Adam Bloom, Gary Delaney, the ones I would rather just hoard for myself. It really is one of those in terms of not just technical writing, but his whole approach. Anyway, lots to look forward to there. Um, but every year, in between all of my various previews and making notes of things, I, there is always one preview where I just write the title of the show, as if to say to myself, this is it. It's a show now. This is the show like I mean it. Last night, I had that preview at the spectacular Bristol Underground Comedy Club. Uh, I was following Spencer Jones, who you know as well as I do, is one of the best. Just just one of the best. I'm just going to end up the sentence there. He's just one of the best. And I urge you with every breath in my body to check out his show whenever you can. Um, and he's, he's all over YouTube. He's done bits of telly and stuff, but do see him live. He's fantastic. So I was already nervous about following him. I was coming from another preview. Did two previews last night, which sounds nuts. But I've got into the habit now. When I do the tour, I often do like an hour and then 45 or an hour and then an hour. And um, you sort of go, yeah, you kind of get match fit for it. It's quite exciting to think you can, you can belt out that much work in one night. So I came from another preview with the brilliant Martin Pilgrim. Uh, I did that preview, legged it off, and then uh, turned up in this tiny little sweaty hot box, which is peak Edinburgh conditions, uh, to an audience who'd already seen someone be incredible for an hour. And listen... 
I'm going to level with you, right? I try to keep you as engaged with my process as I can, obviously, within the parameters that I, I, I tell you about the spectacularly bad gigs, right? Because they're infrequent. But sometimes there are just sort of generally tough ones or generally tired ones, or I'm losing faith in the show and, or, or losing faith in some elements of the show. I mean, this year, I feel like I've had less time than I have in the last... This is my seventh hour of stand-up, and I have worked on it. I've had less physical time to work on it than any of the previous six. And that has been scaring me. In part, that's because of the Boutros and the wedding and going to Melbourne and the tour being longer. Um, and the, the travel involved in the tour, you can't always sit and get the writing done to mean that the new stuff you do in the tour the following night is appreciably different. It's been hard. It's been really hard. And partly it's because, as you know, I've, due to the new Hell Week plan, I've tried to change the way I work. I've tried to four-hour work week my writing year so that I've done short bursts of intense work rather than the usual kind of, I mean, let's not call it the daily grind, but I do for a long time. My process was turn up every day, write every day. I simply don't have the time to do that anymore. So part of it is also me having to not have a speed wobble and think, okay, I'm doing this differently. So if it isn't ready by early June in the way that it might normally be, then, or might normally be, then, uh, then that's not a problem because I'm doing it differently. All of this has contributed to a real and uh, uh, painful, a uh, worrisome, and very difficult to live with. Sorry, Mrs. Stew. Um, I. It's contributed to a real nervous energy, a nervous energy with which all comedians who do the Edinburgh Festival will be familiar at this time of year. But. I don't always share that with you, right? If I've had a disaster, do you remember? Do you remember this time last year? I had one that was so bad. And I told you it was the one I started narrating. God, I'll never release that. I started narrating to the recording how badly I was dying. That upset them. Of course it did. They hated me. I hated myself. I just grabbed, I think I remember at the time likening it to just grabbing the stick on a, on the cockpit of a plane and just hurtling towards the ground. Um, I, I told you about that one, but I, if there are tougher ones along the way, if they're just kind of, if it's not a story, if it's not interesting that I bombed, or if I didn't bomb, I just like, it was fine. I try not to mention it because obviously I've got a, a stake in this, right? I want you to come and see me do stand up. I want to, I want you, you know, part of the message of the show is, hey guys, you know, I'm an interviewer that you like listening to. I'm also a really good comic. We know in the past I've been through various modes of uh, being too self-deprecating, sort of assuming a certain amount of skill on my part. And then if I say to you guys, ah, oh, you know, I just turned up, did my little show. Maybe I'm being cool about it, but you don't know. You've never seen me. So maybe you read that as, uh, oh, he's, he's actually not very good. Listen, I can't tell you the whole truth the whole time because I, I know you might want me to. Someone like Bill Burr on his Monday morning podcast, he, if he has a rough gig, he can tell you about it because he's already hugely established. I don't have, whatever my relationship with you, I don't have that level of um, your unshakable faith in my ability, right? So if there are slightly tougher ones along the way, if, it, if they're not excitingly tougher, I keep shtum. I've been worried. <laughs> I got a text from a fabulous uh, uh, comedian friend of mine who I won't name because it's a running joke between us that he's too scared to come on the show, but he knows full well who he is. I got a text from my friend and he said, how's it going? And I said, uh, you know, I'm really, I'm really bricking it this year. And he said, but no, everything you said, he texted me back, he said, everything you said on the podcast 
it, you know, it just sounds like it's going great. And I had to say, no, I know that. I'm trying to give the impression to everyone that it is going great. Um, but uh, it's only sometimes going great. It's been hard. Now, I had the one last night. You know that, you know, you talk about killing your darlings. You're familiar with that phrase. You, you sometimes to be creative, to be in the in an artistic life. You have to look at work you've made that you're in love with and go, nope, get rid get rid this has been the process of the long knives i don't think i've ever cut so much functioning stuff i've cut stuff because it's really good and it gets a round of applause but it doesn't suit the show jesus i'm trying to what who do i think i am a caster i'm trying to i'm trying to mimic that kind of quality control where you go this bit is perfectly good and works really well but this isn't the show for it take it out this bit i love doing this bit but it's not as fresh now as it was take it out this other bit come on that's the guts of the show and if i take that out then i lose that amazing callback later take it out i've been chopping and chopping and chopping i've tried to be merciless um and uh, and as a result last night i ended up with a show where almost every single bit of it was just the funniest two sentences on that bit and move on and i cannot tell you enough if you are this is my reward if you're a british comic you're listening to this you're getting ready for edinburgh and if you're the sort of person that listens to every episode and the post ambles because i know orlando's profile isn't huge over in the uk just yet um so i'm putting this message at the end of this one that this post amble is a little treat this is just my message to you kill your darlings cut the stuff cut the stuff cut 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 and i still ended up last night doing an hour i've got to cut another 15 out of that so that i can let it breathe for the next three or four weeks and that is a that is a giddying premise that's a giddying idea it's like oh i've i've really got it i've been brutal and it hurt but god it worked so i'm going to be more brutal cut to next week's post ample where you hear me weeping and going i've got nothing i've got nothing left i've cut it all and i don't know where i am and i'm just sat in a barren desert surrounded by tiny little snippets of my former show so anyway if you're going to come to edinburgh you're going to love this one i'm so excited about it i was excited when i wrote all the promo that said how excited i was and then there was a rocky patch a long old rocky patch and now i am back on the tiny horse i'll speak to you soon Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay, and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply.